0: Welcome to the Book Jam with Mary and Marissa. I'm Mary.
1: And I'm Marissa. This is a book podcast about books. What kind of books? Young adult, middle grade, graphic novels, audiobooks, LGBTQIA, and more. Come jam with us.
0: Yep. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter at the Book Jam One. Ask us questions, we will answer them. Uh, cool. So, what do you have to talk about today, Ms. Marissa?
1: Ooh, I gotta go first today? How fun.
0: Yes, go first. I usually go first. You should go first.
1: (laughs) It's only fair, like, seven episodes in that I go first. All right, so my first book I'm excited to talk about is one that I think was kind of overshadowed when it came out. It is called Jane Unlimited by Kristen Cashore. Uh, She is the author of the Graceling Realms High Fantasy series. And I think her rep is that it takes a lot of time between books for her to, to publish. This book was published in September of 2017. I'd say it's for grades nine and up, 14 and up. And usually we kind of say what genre it is. This one kind of defies genre. I guess if I had to say it's contemporary, but really it is a choose your own adventure book for teens, but not lame. Fight me about it. I'm not <laughs> going to fight you
0: about it because I'm a big fan of Ryan North's <laughs> Choose Your Own Adventures. He's done Choose Your Own Shakespeare's that are hilarious. Um, he did Romeo and or Juliet. Uh, and Noel Stevenson, who we talked about last time, did all the art for it. So never going to hate on a Choose Your Own Adventure. I'm an 80s kid. Come on.
1: I know. But it's, it's fun. So this is from the publisher, how they describe it. I tried to give the whole plot away cuz I like the bit of mystery. So from the publisher, Jane has lived a mostly ordinary life, raised by her recently deceased aunt Magnolia, whom she counted on to turn life into an adventure. But without her aunt, Jane is lost. So she's easily swept away when a glamorous, capricious and wealthy acquaintance from years ago asks Jane to accompany her to a gala at the extravagant island mansion called Deux I don't speak French. Jane remembers her aunt telling her, if anyone ever invites you to Tu promise me that you'll go. What Jane doesn't know is that the house will offer her five choices that could ultimately determine the course of her life. Jane finds the island overstocked with rich eccentrics, mysterious servants, fabulous art, dangerous secrets, potential lovers, and infinite possibilities. One choice could lead to a heist. One could be a spy thriller. She finds herself in a gothic horror story the extraordinary fantasy realm. She could fall in love. She might lose her life. She might come face to face with herself. Every choice comes with a price, but together all the choices will lead her to the truth. So choose your own adventure, but on a teen level. Now I will say this book, looking at Goodread reviewers, um, it's kind of a hit or a miss. Like you love it or you hate it. So that's kind of fun if you want to take a chance on a book like that. Um, I love the author Melissa Albert of The Hazelwood. Uh, She wrote a little book blurb saying, this is a wild gift for readers who like books that take them to unexpected places. And this book does a really good job tying in adventure, grief, storytelling, and finding yourself in a world of infinite choices. Because if you ever think about it in that weird moment that you're like, if I go left today, I'm choosing a whole different future for myself than if I go right. Like you don't even know. Sometimes I think about that, but (laughs) no, that's cool, isn't it? It, it, It's it's the thing, and and this is a choose your own eventual style It takes Jane down five divergent paths. Each one, each one follows on the heels of one of the house's other occupants. So it expands outward like an alien flower, uh, becoming bigger and weirder and more daring. And it's just fun if you're willing to go with it. And the less you know, um. The better it is. The other fun part is one of the character parts is Jane is the main character. Some people say she's not fleshed out enough. I think that's part of the choose your own adventure, is depending on what she chooses, it helps define who she is and what character aspects come out. But the one thing consistent throughout everything is that she is a an umbrella maker and she's quite talented. Like it's an art piece when she makes it. You know, everyone's making umbrellas. It's the hot new thing. So there's a large cast of characters. There's skulking servants. There's rich party people. It's fun. So the book starts off very contemporary. So if you like, um, like We Were Liars, the whole rich kind of lush, rich people problems that you can't even relate to. The whole house itself is filled with art and statuary. And the house itself is a unique being. It's made with bits and bobs of pieces of homes and castles from all around the world. Um, I like Jane. She actually, uh, listening to a BookTuber kind of give a book description, she, she kind of paraphrased it as, Jane identifies as a possible bisexual, more likely pansexual from her description. There is a female love interest that comes in and out depending on what story you choose. And you can read the different endings in different in, in any order you want. Jane does say that she doesn't consider gender as a barrier. It's who you fall in love with. It's about their soul more than their gender. And in most of the book reviews that I read either on goodreads or official publicated reviews they did mention the bisexuality but I think Mary that sounds like from she might be more pansexual like you said we had a pre-conversation about this
0: yeah Um, straight reviewers would miss that and just assume it's bisexual Um, and there might be some people out there who are bisexual but like they when they talk about who they're attracted to, it might sound more like pansexual. But we also have to remember that gender and sexual identity is based on the person, so it's how they say they feel. Um, so since you said the character doesn't actually explicitly state, yeah, it, it sounds like pansexuality to me. If I were to go with just like a broad sweeping term,
1: yeah, a pan term. Mm-hmm. You're like, don't don't say that. But yeah, so. If you want to not know a lot, go into a blind, just go read it. It's fun. It's it's a journey. You kind of just accept where you're going. And if you're a reader and know readery things, which sounds super big, um, I know, right? You just kind of accept that there's different things. I will also say if you like animals, there is a perfectly adorable basset hound character that always weaves in and out of every story. So that has a nice consistency. Um, it's just fun. And it's very weird. Uh, again, some complaints against it have been that the later stories don't have enough time to develop uh, because they go off into different places and, and, and more far-fetched. But I kind of like it because sometimes I feel like I am a jaded teen book reader. And I'm like, know that trope. I know that trope. I've seen that one before. So I like to be surprised. And this book was very surprising. And someone even pointed out, we did a book discussion of it long ago the importance of umbrellas. So if you start at the beginning at the very top of the umbrella and then the five different spines or tines of the umbrella come out. So like the five different possible endings for Jane. Kind of, ooh, Mm -hmm. fun themes. It's just silly things like that that really entertain me. Um, So this is my first book that I'm recommending, Jane Unlimited, for something unexpected for readers about grade nine and up um, that are willing to go anywhere.
0: Cool. So the book I'm going to talk about, I really liked. I read it probably a month or two ago. It's called Witchy by Ariel Slammet-Reese. Um, it is a graphic novel. It's technically a YA book, but I think you could give it to middle graders. It shouldn't be a problem. It also kind of has that um, feel of Nimona a little bit. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not, it's not Nimona, but it, it's for kids that enjoyed that book. I think they would like this book, too. Um, so it was a 2015 Ignatz uh, for Outstanding Online Comic nominee because originally it was a web comic, and a 2016 Dinky for Outstanding Web Comic nominee, um, and the Danish Pig Prison for Best Online Series in 2017 and 2018 nominee. Uh, so it didn't win, but it was nominated. And the Ignatz is like a really big indie press um, award. So like yeah, you, know, you have the Eisners for like published stuff, and then the Ignatz is the indie indie part of it. So I'll just read the publisher description: In the Witch Kingdom. Of Hyalin, the strength of your magic is determined by the length of your hair. Those that are strong enough for cons- are conscripted by the Witch Guard, who enforce the law in peacetime and protect the land during war. However, those of hair judged too long are pronounced enemies of the kingdom and annihilated. <laughs> this is called Witch Burning. Witchy is a young adult graphic novel about the young witch, um, Nainiv. I'm just going to call her Nev here on out because her name is a little hard to pronounce. She was haunted by the death of her father and the threat of the Witch Guard poses to her own life. When conscription rolls around, Nineveh has a choice to make. Join the institution complicit in her father's death or stand up for her ideals. So, it starts early off. She's going to the academy and they're going to have to take the test and the test will say whether or not you can go study or if like you're good enough you get into the witch guard and most people want to go into the witch guard because it's like prestigious um mm-hmm. you know it means you're kind of cool uh there is a mean girl in the her class that's just like oh well your hair is so short blah, blah. and it turns out her hair isn't short her hair is actually too long her so her father was killed for having hair that was too long and she's been braiding her hair, especially so that way you can't tell that it's actually that long. And so everyone thinks that her magic isn't good because her hair is shorter. But it turns out her magic's actually really good. It's just, it's so much of it, it comes out wrong. Like, it's mm. like raw, unfocused power. Um, and so, and you also find out the mean girl is trans, um, which kind of comes around. And it's kind of cool too, because like she and the mean girl actually become friends. Like once they, she, she finds out that the girl is trans and so she kind of sticks up for her at one point and so they kind of like become a little bit of friends over that and the reason why they're kind of in the same friend group is they have a like a middle friend that's like the linchpin friend for both of them Um, and so of course it turns out they find out her hair is too long and she has to run away and her mom helps her escape and um, so when she's running away like she befriends a raven that can talk who's really annoying because what good fantasy runaway story doesn't have a talking <laughs> animal that's super annoying um and so you know you also find out there's a lot of political stuff like maybe the person who's in charge of everything has incredibly long hair and he gets rid of long-haired people because they could be a threat to his power um and it's really cool uh i also really like the art in it the main character 9 looks a lot like the art reminding me a lot of um the naboru in the legend of zelda that or not not the Naboro, excuse me. <laughs> Naboro is a character. The Gerudo, uh, who live in Gerudo Valley in the, the Legend of Zelda series. Cause like she has like the sharp nose and uh, and whatnot. Uh but it's pretty cool. It has like, you know, LGBT storylines in it as well. She finds a group of, of people that are trying to bucket to the system that are rebels and you know it kind of ends on a cliffhanger. So I really hope that she'll come back and finish it, but I don't know because this was published by Oni Press and Oni was publishing a lot of really cool stories by diverse authors and LGBT authors, but they had a huge reduction in staff last year. So I don't know, like, like if you ever follow, um, there's a really great graphic novel that came out a couple years ago called Archival Quality. Um, It's by Ivy Weir and um, Christina, I can't remember Christina's last name. She goes by Steens and Steens was actually working as an editor for Oni and she got let go. So yeah, and she was—I think she was one of the people that was finding some of this cool stuff. or like, hey, can we make it into—and granted, I'm just—I'm just guessing. I haven't actually talked to scenes about this. I just follow her Twitter. But yeah, so I don't know because, like, like I said, there was like a year where Oni was putting out all this really cool stuff, and I haven't really seen as much lately because like the reduction would be apparent now. At the same time, oh, um, I just looked up archival
1: quality. You know, I did read that one a yeah. few months ago. That one, yeah, it's for, it's fun.
0: Sorry. Yeah, it's really good. I think they're gonna. She and Ivy are gonna do another one together, and I can't remember if they have a title for it or if it's just like a project. I think they're working on it. Um, I don't know if it's like a. I think it's a different story, but Scenes is cool. She's also done the Encyclopedia Brown comics that are cool. I like those a lot too. Anyway, like super. She and Ivy are super super nice. Read their stuff. They're great. But yeah, so I don't know, cause like if we're gonna get any more cool stuff from Oni. Like I said, because then again, the pandemic is also really screwed up publishing timelines. We were talking about that before we started recording between books and comics. So I don't know. So that's my first pick. I really liked it. I hope there's more because I would like to get a continuation of the series. How Um, low a reader do you think
1: could do? I have read Witchy. I loved it. How young? What grade five, grade six? I'd probably say grade six. I mean, a lot of my uh, preteens or kids in intermediate school come up into the teen room in the old world when they could come into library and they just would come and just pillage all of my graphic novels so a lot of times I would have offer kids to buy the same copy and I would buy a copy just to, it's, I know it's going to go out so this is one that I know it just had that look of it that they were like okay witch they grabbed it witchy they grabbed it they just like that magical yeah. kind of fun graphic novel yeah
0: yeah, I could see a fifth grader grabbing it. I was just thinking about my library. Like I wouldn't put it in children's just because my ch- but I also have my children's graphics. Since I order all the graphics for my library, like my children's graphics are really like a real concentration on like uh, more simple comics, I guess I would say. But I also have some middle grade in there because there are some books I feel like are lower middle grade that I'd rather put down there. Whereas like stuff that's more like sixth, seventh, eighth is in my my teen room, and then I have my high school and up is merged with my adult collection. So because I'm also looking at like where the readers are going, and the, it's mm. a browsing kind of thing. And sometimes I'll I'll knock a book up and I'll knock a book down, depending if I actually sometimes I'll order and not read it, and then I'll read it. And I'm like, oh, this needs to go downstairs. It'll circulate better. Like I just read mm-hmm. the Tea Dragon Society. And I realized I had it in middle grade and then I read it and I was like, oh, this needs to go in children's. Also, it's a big like treasury volume and it's very colorful <laughs> and it's really cute. So I'm like, yeah, and I need to bump yeah. this down. So anyway, that's my sharing. book.
1: Yes, I read it. I loved it. My Ooh, book what's your next one? Is awesome. It's a book we just discussed a couple of weeks ago with our teen uh, readers unite club. It is called Cinderella is Dead by Kaylin Bayron. It just came out on July 7th, 2020. Uh, so it's we, this a, it's so bad. bad. Uh, the publishers are kind enough to uh share on netgalley advanced reader ebooks. so that was a fun process to get the teens to sign up for idol Life or netgalley and to get the download but a devoted number of people did do it and we had the most amazing discussion of this book the short kind of summary, you could sum it up in a sentence or two, is that girls team up to overthrow the kingdom in this unique and powerful retelling of Cinderella from a stunning new voice that's perfect for fans of A Curse So Dark and Lonely. One Goodreads reviewer, Kai, described it as, a black Cinderella falls in love with Merida, and together they destroy the patriarchy. I was like, yes! Yes! (laughs) Yes! Um, So, the publisher summary, it with a little bit of Mixing and matching did not get everything away. Is that it's two hundred years after it's two hundred years after Cinderella found her prince? But the fairy tale is over. The kingdom of Mersile is a total totalitarian patriarchy. Women have no rights and live with children under a strict curfew. Teen girls are now required to appear at the annual ball, where all the eligible men of the kingdom select wives based on a girl's display of finery. Those that aren't selected in three different years aka married by 18, Uh, if they don't find a suitable match, the girl is not chosen and often never heard from again. You know, normal. So in the city of Lil, headstrong Sophia, who's 16, wants nothing to do with marriage, unless it's to her girlfriend and childhood best friend, Aaron. She is not here to parade in front of suitors, and when things go terribly wrong at the ball, Sophia makes the desperate decision to flee and finds herself hiding in Cinderella's mausoleum and it's there that she meets Constance, the last known descendant of Cinderella and her stepsisters. Together they vowed to bring down the king once and for all. And in the process, they learn that there's more to Cinderella, Cinderella's story than they ever knew. This book had it all. It is a fairy tale retelling with a twist. It had a black indigenous person of color main character. I love the cover. There's actually two covers. One's a little cleaner and one's a little bit after the fight. I love them both. It has a love story. It has LGBTQIA love stories, multiple. There's Smashing the Patriarchy, Twist Turns. I read it in one day in two sittings. I I just really felt into it. I will say that I think think it's fine for grade seven and up. Um, I think all the publishers kind of suggested that it was like more grade eight and up. Um, There are some trigger warnings that I wanted to mention. There are intense topics such as um, execution. There's definitely abuse and there's threat of rape. A lot of the places you buy books from, it does say for grade seven to nine, knowing that publishers are often wrong and they just want to make the buck and have it be the most wide audience. I feel like a lot of people might say it's easily to say grade eight enough, but it depends on the reader. A lot of my book discussion readers can handle those topics. So that's why we try and pick what's available, like ones I know they'll be interested in. And side note, I read a really interesting I think Twitter thread about can we stop, please, using the threat of rape in not just fantasy, but just in general, especially in YA books? Because you think about it, there's a, a lot in fantasy that there's always that moment that the big, gnarly, ugly, bad, evil character comes up and threatens the female. That's a whole separate writer's thing, but I digress.
0: I think it's different too if it's like a male writer versus a lady writer, a non binary writer. Like and the reason why I say this, and I understand where they're coming from, is that like I know in um a lot of comics, like we have the whole women in refrigerators trope where something bad happens to the woman. It could be rape, it could be like paralyzation, it could be death, like to get and it's done to get the main male character mm-hmm. to move into action. So like part of the reason why I hate Alan Morris, the killing joke, is that it's inferred that the joker rapes barbara gordon batgirl and then puts a bullet in her spine which paralyzes her and that's what gets batman to finally like chase him down and beat the crap out of him and i hate that so much (laughs) it's so bad um but i think it's also just such a current trope or not current trope but like a a classic trope Mm -hmm. in fantasy but also, it's about a power dynamic, which this sounds like. This book is a lot about breaking those dynamics. Yes.
1: Now, for some critique, the, reading reviews on Goodreads and some official reviews from publications, there were some critiques that the world building was not there. Which I hear you. I get that. I do like new interpretations of traditional fairy tales. One hurdle I feel like sci-fi and fantasy has um, that contemporary doesn't have is that when the reader approaches a sci-fi or fantasy, you have to explain your world. What are the rules? What's the power? What's the, what's the hook? What's the premise of the world? And even if some of my teens are like, I, I don't do sci-fi or fantasy, Miss Marissa, because I just, it's too complicated. Like they have to accept and be open to what's the new world. I l- like the challenge of world building. The challenge of world building is that you need to interestingly tell me the rules of the place, the constraints, and still keep the story going. In this book, I think she would, was more concerned with plot than building the country and the side countries and the world. I don't think there was a map, but we did have an advanced reader version uh, via ebook. But it was really good that I didn't need the extended world building. It opens; it leaves off where you might have a sequel, but there's—I don't think they have uh, committed to anything. But I appreciated the content and the characters, and I was fine with less of a world building. And I, so I didn't, I'm not going to be harsh on that. At all. But when you use the frame of a fairy tale retelling, even if it's a loose fairy tale retelling, I appreciate that. You know what? I'm immediately with you. You're telling me it's a Cinderella retelling. Cool. I know the basic framework of the house you're trying to build. I can go with you. I'm fine with that because I already know what to expect. So I think that can help get over the hurdle of like, oh, world building. What kind of weird language are they using? What weird names? Like Steve. I want to interject yeah. for a
0: second. So yeah. I have not read this book i'm very excited to read this book but i have also found there is a problem of whiteness in criticism of books by people Mm -hmm. of color particularly when you were dealing with a fantasy Mm -hmm. series because i feel like we had the same discussion with the bells and that i remember hearing certain people saying oh there's not enough world building in this book and i'm like what book did you read like (laughs) like there's so much world building it's just it makes you feel weird because it's not maybe for you and you need to be more open to other people's experiences that are not yours and not white. And I think that that sometimes comes into play when you have that. I mean, I could be wrong, but I don't think I am. Also, if you have the whole premise of the fairy tale, you can, you, no one has to, you don't have to world build like out the ass for that. (laughs) Like everybody knows that. Like, does Marissa Meyer get the same type of um, uh, like criticism for Cinder? Does no. she? <laughs>
1: um, and that's the fun thing is that I've people like Cinderella is so basic. <laughs> She's a basic fairy, yeah, basic fairy tale. Um, that the more basic it is, the more you can do with it. Make it sci-fi, make it time hop, make it this, make it that. Another book that if you liked, if you have read, and you want something else like it, um, Cinderella is dead. I would say uh, Bridget Kemmerer's A Curse So Dark and Lonely. That's a black mm-hmm. religious person of color. Contemporary fantasy, fantasy twist on Beauty and the Beast. I love it. Uh book three will come out next year if they stick to the publishing schedule. But even more directly related to this in its own way is The Stepsister by Jennifer Donnelly. Um, that one imagines the story from the stepsister's perspective, and it's more sympathetic to her and it actually it's again it's it's taking a different person's point of view from the story you know. How are you gonna take it? How are you gonna twist it? And it's a hard read, but it's a fun read. Like it's it was really creative. I like her writing. She often takes on like really big fun things. But I really liked it. So if you like Cinderella is dead or and you want something else, try Step Sister, I just like taking the known, the easy, we all know this story. And they address it so well in the book because the the fairy tale of Cinderella is almost a uh, religion where everyone has to read their story. The girls keep pure at night and everyone knows their story and just you take it and you turn it. And it's, it's, I thought it was done so well. I liked reading about it. Um, I thought the characters were really fun. They did a great twist on, uh, the fairy tale, the fairy godmothers, uh, again, kind of almost tying it into religion. We had the best discussion with my teens. Um, it was amazing. I love you all. Uh, It was just really good to have an audience of teens in grade seven to 12, like the ideal audience, talk about it. And then uh, leading a discussion and having them discover so many similarities to things that are happening now with black lives matter. So many things happening now with me too. Uh, Everyone had their own understanding, whether you're in grade seven or grade 12 and it was so good. So I, I do think this is a teen book. I think adults could get something out of it, but again, using something so simple as a fairy tale structure, to tackle big topics it's been done before but this is a really fresh great take on it so yay cinderella is dead this is my book awesome i am very hyped to read this book so yeah so i'm going to talk about
0: my book uh now my book is also by an author of color uh so my book is beast made of night by tochi anyabuchi this is a awesome fantasy book i really really enjoyed it it has so much world building. So <laughs> to kind of spin that around, um, it's part one of a duology. And the series is called The Beast Made of Night. And I can't wait to read the second one. I just I have a couple other books I have to read before I get to it, but I really want to find out how, because that's such a great cliffhanger. Like even NPR and BuzzFeed mm-hmm. liked it. Um, It was, yeah, I <laughs> know. Uh, so it's, people have pegged it as like Black Panther meets... um. Acadovich in *Beasts of the Night*, the first book in an epic fantasy duology. In the wild city of Cause, corrupt mages can magically call forth sin from a sinner in the form of sin beasts, lethal creatures spawned from the feelings of guilt. Taj is the most talented of the aki young sin eaters indentured by the mages to slay the sin beasts. But Taj's livelihood comes at a terrible cost. When he kills the sin beast, a tattoo of the beast appears on his skin, while the guilt of committing the sin appears on his mind. Most Aki are driven mad by the process, but Taj is cocky and desperate to provide for his family. So when Taj is called to eat the sin of a member of the royal family, he's suddenly thrust into the center of a dark conspiracy to destroy cause. Now Taj must must fight to save the princess that he loves in his own life. So it is really, really cool. There's, Like I said, there's a lot of world building in this. It's because at some one point I was like, where is this going? And then it like kicks into gear and you're like, oh my gosh, what just happened? It's really cool. So like he and his friends are kind of like, maybe like a step above a street urchin, but everybody hates them. Like they're very much the outcast in this society. And the thing of it is, it's kind of like mutants in the in the Marvel universe. Like you could be going along your business, and all of a sudden you get closer to puberty, and you get turned into an Aki. Like your eyes change colors. Like your pupil of your eyes change, and that's how you. That's how people know. Um, And then, um, like, so when he tries to walk around, a lot of times he'll like cover himself, like so you can't see his tattoos, and maybe put a hood up so you can't see his eyes and like he's you know his parents are still alive but they live in a slum like there's a lot of like slums and just you know it's very much a story of the haves and the have nots and if you live in the palace you have and if you live outside the palace you very much have not Mm -hmm. and so all the kids kind of take care of each other because they get thrown out either you know they're thrown out by their family or you know they're trying to just survive um and like you know one of the ways the plot really advances is that there's a little kid named Omar who is a new is new to the Aki, and so Taj kind of takes him under his wing and tries to teach him. Um, and his best friend Bo, like he and Bo are like kind of like the unofficial leaders of their little group, um, and they often get called to the royal palace to like eat sins of the royals. Um, and like he goes with Bo. What really kind of like is the the twist in it is he goes with Bo one day to eat a sin and it's a dragon, and it's too much for Bo, and he can't do it. And so Taj steps up and ends up killing it and it's the king's sin and you don't find out what the sin is so Mm -hmm. i'm kind of curious if like we'll find out like what the sin is in the book too but yeah and so there's like these very corrupt mages and like you know the mages will pay you for eating the sin but they never pay you what it's actually worth that's there's also that this weird capitalism in it and so he sends pretty much all of his money home to his mom and dad because his mom had a sin that got eaten and they had to pay for it and like they're still paying for it it's you know and so he's trying to help his parents out even though he can't actually see them but he gets like wrapped up in this giant like palace conspiracy and there's also like a really cool mage who maybe isn't quite what she Mm -hmm. seems uh uh, who ends up being a rebel um and it's just like really cool because he's like this un and not like unwitting but like he's really smart but like this unknowing kid that kind of gets sucked into all this just for like place and time and like his ability. And you know, he's very self centered, but this is like that's why he's been able to keep um, his head. Because the other thing is, if you eat too many sins, you'll eventually just go in, you'll just, you know, you lose it and you go insane. And then you become kind of a shell of yourself. The sins eat you from the inside out. And you know, think about the parallels between like slavery mm-hmm. and whatnot of like having to do some things because somebody else in a position of privilege and power doesn't feel like they have to so they're pushing their guilt off onto another yeah. person i mean it's it's so good and it's oh my gosh it's just it's so good i'm really excited to read yeah. the second one i really liked it i did not look at goodread reviews I <laughs> like care. you can say um, whatever you
1: want no i read this book Around when it first came out in 2017, and they're actually uh, Tochi Anyabuchi came to a Connecticut YA librarian roundtable or meetup, I think it was a year or so ago. And I don't think anybody else publicly admitted that they had read the book. So I was a super hyper person that had a lot of plot specific <laughs> questions that I had to ask. That I, uh, first of all, I took them back into the kitchen, it was uh, off the main room, and I was like, Can I ask you a few questions? about the plot that I don't want to spoil for anybody else. And I was like, first of all, how dare you with the ending. And he would just laugh. And he was so delightful and he was so cool. Yeah. And it was great just talking to the author when I had so recently like we had just discussed this book for the teen uh, book discussion that I run like the previous week. And I was like, all right. So some of my teens have questions. Let's go through it. One, two, three. And he was really cool as an author, which is great to know. And yeah, the whole like Western African, Nigerian um folklore that he grew up with, he put in the book another book that I'm currently mm-hmm. reading right Really, it cool. is really cool yes. you, I also just like it when we get stuff that's
0: not Rick Rorden yeah. and I love Rick Rorden I love how he's he's a good he's doing the good and like pushing other people up but I like it too when we get things out of the imprint line that gets yeah. published because it means that we're getting more and more of these diverse stories anyway, Oh, so I was just
1: going to say that um, if you liked The Beast Made of Night it's great because it's, there's not just, oh, if you like that, there's only one book that you can read that's like a West African inspired folklore book. There's so many great books coming out right now or that have come out all in the past. Like right now, I'm almost done, but I'm not quite finished with A Song of Wraiths and Ruin. Wraith being w-a-w-r-a-i-t-h-s i just can't say that word. I'm so sorry. Roseanne A. Brown. It's okay. That looks really good, good too. I, I want to read that. that. because it has a dual perspective where you have the princess main character and then you have this uh, poor boy um, kind of. Refugee perspective and the mat. It's, it's so good. It's with Af- African folklore and it's a grieving crown princess who has to kill the boy to bring back her mother, the queen, and then the boy needs to kill the princess to bring back his little sister. Uh, magical, fun, great. If you probably already heard about the Children of Blood and Bone by tomi Adayemi, that one's great. Yeah. The Akata Witch you mentioned. There's so many that I love. I just love. We just talked about evil royals at my teen book talk. To no, yeah, teen book talk Tuesday this past week, and the theme was evil royals. So we mentioned there's a lot of evil royals in YA. So we had a lot of things to mention, and it was just so much fun to say like, oh, if you like this, you would like this, and if you like that, and there's so many more books that you can offer now that it feels even better to like not just be like, well, if you like this book, there's only one. There's only one West African inspired folklore fantasy book. Uh, And there's so many great ones coming out. So I'm very excited about that. And all the books that are coming out soon. I love it. Yes. And the sequel. Good. chef kiss. Uh, Can't wait for more to come. Do you saying, Yeah. And then like sci-fi, he also has started a new series called War Girls
0: that um, I picked up the other day and I realized I didn't have time to read it. So I'm like, oh, I'm going to have to put this down and come back to it. Um, But it looks really good.
1: Yes, it's on, it's on my never-ending to be read list that I'm like, well, when I have time to read, because I have read for work, I read for fun, I read YA. Like, there's so many good books to read. I'm like, I need more time. I need more eyes. I need more ears. More books. I Yeah, it is a thing. Um, Oh, do we have a question this week? We do. The question comes from Audra, uh, one of my um teens from Book Discussion. And she asked the most evil question she you could ever ask i guess a librarian what is your all-time favorite book
0: oh so i can't answer this question succinctly because i feel not i feel i know i have favorite books for different genres and i have favorite books for like different moods and times in my yeah, life too correct. um it's such a complex question which seems like so easy i'm also not the kind of person that can usually like like if you, I love music too, and you're like, oh, what's your favorite band? I'm like, uh, for the month, like I don't, I don't know how to answer that. But I started thinking about it, and I, so I decided I would talk about like my favorite graphic novels because that is like, I, I grew up reading comics. I'm a huge, huge, huge comics fan. Um, you know, I love the X-Men and like, I think right now, like my and this has been this way for at least 10 years, which is a lot for me. Cause like some of the stuff I read when I was a teenager, I thought I really, really liked. And then I have revisited it and been like, eh, not really. <laughs> I appreciate how it influenced the genre, but it's not my favorite anymore. Like I used to really love Neil Gaiman's Sandman. I used to love everything, Neil game and dead. And now I'm kind of just like, eh, it's okay. I'd rather go read something else now. Um, and that's just, you know, sometimes you get tired of an author. It happens. It's fine. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like my favorite graphic novel, and it's not really a graphic novel. It's a comic series. Um, it's easier to read and trade and collected. It's called Strangers in Paradise by Terry Moore. And it's a comic from the nineties. And it's, um, in the nineties, we had a huge boom of indie comics where people could like do some really cool stuff and weren't really like beholden to like the big two publishers. And Terry Moore and his wife have abstract studios and he just makes these great comics. And it was the first. Like LGBT comic that I read that was like no judgment, and he is a straight guy, but like he gets it right. Like it's just a story about how life intersects for these three people, and how they're in each other's orbits all the time. And there's a whole question of like will Kachu and Francine finally figure their shit out and get together or not? And then there's like the, you know there's a prostitution ring that's actually a spy network but also like a mafia thing, like all of this crazy stuff happens. And you're just like, how did we get from over here to over here? This is amazing. (laughs) And you know, he even said, like, I don't, I wasn't really sure the overall arc. I was just like, I just keep having to write these stories because these characters keep talking to me. Um, He's since written other stuff that I've really liked too. He did a horror series. I love called Rachel rising. Uh, He just finished. He actually just finished um, strangers in paradise five years later. So it picks it because he said, like, once he was done with Strangers, he was just done with it. Um, And then he's like, no, there's another story. (laughs) But he also is kind of like Stephen King in that his his world he's created is all woven together. So like if you're reading Strangers in Paradise five years later, there's characters from Echo that show up. There's characters from Racial Rising. There's also a character from Motor Crush that shows up. So it's kind of cool how he weaves everything together. So I think that's my favorite comic. I don't know. I love X-Men, but I don't know if there's anything that's like my favorite favorite anymore because I have things that were my favorite when I was a kid, but I've revisited them and be like, oh, I'm older now, so I don't know how I feel
1: about that.
0: So, yeah. I mean, I still, I don't know. I don't know. What's, what's your answer? So,
1: yeah. My answer kind of follows yours in that at different points in my life, there there is books that guided me and made me, guided my interests and guided my things. Um, so, thinking back to high school, when I was like in ninth grade, I got a copy of my sister's book and it was so forbidden. I was like, and I stole her copy. Sorry, sister Beth. It's it's still, it's still mine. Um, I never gave it back 20 plus years later. Uh, Memoirs of a Geisha by Arthur Golden was formative for me. Is the book perfect? No, it's a fictionalized version of a girl who grows up and is trained to be a Geisha. It's written by a white cis- heteronormative man, super problematic. And a lot of things are sensationalized, but it inspired a love of Japan and artwork and anime and things. So it was so formative in my life. I definitely had to mention it, though. I'm actually mentioning the book Geisha Kama, A Life by Maneko Iwasaki. She was the real life woman that Arthur Golden interviewed. And actually straight up, I won't say stole, but straight up jacked part of her story um, and put uh, scenes in Sayuri, the main character in Memoirs of a Geisha. The part where the Baron gives her, a, uh, gives the girl a ruby the size of a peach pit or your thumb, that legit happened to her. Uh, it's amazing. So her nonfiction biography, which I found um, when I was studying abroad in college in London, was amazing. Chef's kiss. I love it. I can't believe one person had such a life. Um, so that's that one and then I would also say for my YA pick the book that I like because there's so much content like as a series and I can revisit it the author is not perfect and she has writing issues I would still say Throne of Glass by Sarah J Moss because she's not perfect she definitely kills a lot of like black indigenous person of color characters and that's a known issue I'm not saying that her writing gets better as it goes along. I'm so insulting. I'm not saying it gets better because I think as she got more popular, her editors didn't edit her down. Oh, I agree with that. Also,
0: I feel like she included queer characters as a throwaway.
1: Um, When they could have made it. Yeah. So there's a lot of problems with it. You're like, then why are you saying this, Miss Marissa? It's because it was one of the first big series that, I can read and I can touch point with other teens and I can touch point with other adults in the YA field that like, oh, Moss, I know, right? And then you can jump off from, like with Harry Potter, you can jump off from and like discuss how to make it better, how is it could be worse. So it's this, what do you love, what do you hate? What would, you know, what would you do? And I do appreciate when I reread it. And, and as a series, there's so many hidden things that if you only you read it the first time, you never saw the hidden things, hidden in plain sight plot point that when you go back you're like oh my gosh that was right in my face but i never saw it and i super appreciate it she does need to edit but she doesn't she just they ended up going the publishers went with thinner paper like bible thin paper so they wouldn't have to yeah edit, which i think is hilarious
0: um i may have skipped the next to last book because i hated the characters featured
1: <laughs> i completely get it but i was committed i'm gonna do it i did it and then I was talking with my husband last night about the the show Sherlock and how I loved it when I watched the first time, but I can't watch it again because once I know all the aha moments, I'm like, I already know it. But with Throne of Glass series, I appreciated more rereadings because I can find more hidden things. So that's a complicated yeah. answer about some of my favorite all-time two books and why one for earlier years, which is actually an adult nonfiction memoir. And one for my adult years, which is actually a YA fantasy. You know, how do we do? No, I get it. I mean, my
0: favorite YA book that has really stuck with me. It's one of those books that I don't always recommend to teens. Because I'm like, well, do you want a really angsty book? And they're like, yes. And I was like, okay. And if they're LGBT, sometimes I don't always recommend it. Because if it's like, there's a, am like, are you looking for trauma? And I always warn them. Um, about this but i think that the miseducation of cameron post is one of the best YA books i've ever read it and it's about a girl who loses her parents in a car crash and she has to live with her aunt and her grandma and her grandma like gets her but her grandma's not in really a power situation where she can really advocate for cameron and she lives in like i want to say it's like the midwest and she falls in love with this girl that's like the girl like the popular girl in school who actually happens to be nice and isn't a mean girl and also she was the same age i was in the 90s like so for me it's the kind of book that really speaks to the teenager that's still in me because i think we all have that kid um no matter how old we get and you know some people for part of the reason why i think that you know you have a you and i are both like pretty good teen librarians because we remember what it's like <laughs> to feel all of the emotions and like, you know, be on the outside and be in the inside and like, it's just, you know, all of the craziness um, that goes with being a, a teenager and the, the Miseducation of Cameron Post by Emily M. Danthor just nails it. Um, the thing that's unfortunate about not unfortunate about the story, the story is heart-wrenching because she falls with this girl. She doesn't know what to do with this. They, You know, the girl clearly loves her, but can't deal with it because of what society um, asks from you basically um, and she's not ready to deal with her own sexuality and so it gets out and um, Cameron's aunt's who wasn't really like a crazy Christian evangelical, but is now a crazy Christian evangelical because of, I think the boyfriend that she's dating, um, takes her to this church and like, you know, Cameron has to go to church and she's like, this is the worst. I'm an atheist. I can't even say this here because I'll get in so much trouble. Um, Sends her to conversion camp. Um, And it's so good because she goes to conversion camp and at some point Cameron realizes that she is actually like nobody in charge has any of the answers they haven't really figured out how to convert because they all have they all are just still as gay as they they have always (laughs) been it's just they're hiding themselves and it's just making them miserable and so she and two other kids she becomes really good friends with like end up escaping and it's just this really great book it's like i said it's full of like so much angst and trauma and whatnot Mm -hmm. but it's just so well written and there's something about it that just really speaks to me and now was a kid that would have never been sent to a conversion camp my parents would have been just like okay we don't really understand this but sh- whatever <laughs> but at the same time i grew up in the rural south which is not different from the rural midwest so for me there was a lot of like touchstones and like she just gets the feeling of like what young crushes and love and lust feels like so well especially when you're having to hide that love from everybody. Um, it's just so good. Um, it's just, it's so, it's so freaking good. I love it so much. So, but yeah, and like, I don't know. It's not that I don't recommend it. It's just like, you know, the conversion camp thing is kind of tricky and I'm like, no, you have to read to all the way to the end. This is a very large book. (laughs) Trust me. It's worth it. Like the conclusion is that the conversion camp people are idiots and don't, they are still just as gay as they've always been. They are not, they are not in fact straight. Um, but it's just oh it's so good. But yeah, it's 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 a it's a big one. Yay. So so yes. Thank
1: you for sharing. Woo. Yeah, thank you for sharing. And thank you for asking a question. Thank you, Audra, for asking a terrible question.
0: I mean, I don't call it terrible. It's a great <laughs> question. It's just the kind of question that like we're just like, oh um, no. Like I'm glad. I'm glad you texted me like earlier in this week because it took, Audrey, you gave us a question that was like a stumper. Like we had to think on
1: this one. Yeah. I don't usually give Mary much time before I actually ask it in the recording, but I was like, this one you're going to need to think a minute. Yep. Anyway,
0: but thank you. So if you have questions, tweet us at the
1: book jam one. So thanks for tuning into the book jam.
0: You just got jammed.
1: You got jammed. You got jammed.